unconventional. unconventional. Say, Jesus has need of it. Unconventional. I love the word unconventional because I like to fancy myself as an unconventional person, and I'm being told that I need a mic. There we go. Conventions, right? Uh, unconventional. I like to be unconventional just because I don't usually fit in, you know, kind of different molds, right? I'm a square, I've always felt like a square peg in a round hole. I'm sure many of you may feel that way. Um, growing up, uh, we grew, I was born in Hawaii, uh, in the state of Hawaii, and then moved to California, Samoa, Texas, Georgia. Especially when I lived in the South, I was probably in my neighborhood, the only one that looked like me in the neighborhood. And so in that way, from early on as a child, I felt unconventional or different or anonymous, an anomaly. That was a hard word. We practice these things at home. Uh, and one story I wanted to tell is, uh, and I might have told this before, so forgive me if you've heard it before, but uh, when I was living in Texas in elementary school, some memories just burn into your mind. And this particular memory, I think, burned into my mind because it was a story, it's a David and Goliath story. And I love David and Goliath stories because once again, it's unconventional. You see something amazing happen and someone do something amazing with, by unconventional means or someone who you would least expect to be able to accomplish the task at hand, do it, right? And so I was at the school and I was a relatively new person at this elementary school. Um, and uh, I was new, and so it was hard to make friends. I didn't have new friends yet. Um, but then there was a kid that moved into town who was even newer than me. And my heart nat naturally felt empathetic and welcoming. That's why I'm a pastor now, probably, because I want to welcome people into the church and you know, have them in here. Uh, but I noticed that during lunch, no one sat with him in the cafeteria. During recess, no one played with him uh, during recess. And even that people were, um, kids were making fun of him and kind of bullying him and teasing him. I don't know why kids do the darndest things, right? Not welcoming the new person and ostracizing them. I don't know, that's kind of strange thing that kids do. Um, but we were doing that. Um, and after school, we're, I was walking home, my home was like three blocks away from school, walking home after school, and I saw these kids surrounding this new boy. And they were picking on him, they're trying to start a fight, and stuff, this was Texas, so everyone fought. And they're trying to, <laughs> trying to start a fight and stuff, and they were big, you know, big for their age, and three of them, and just this kid. And I was like, my heart, this justice, and wanting to like, you know, do something and be the hero and help this weaker person of that's like struggling and being picked on. And the heart for the underdog just rose up in me. And I was like, I gotta do something. But then on the side, there's this like fear, like, but I don't wanna get beat up, right? And so this tension was going, I looked on the ground and there's this, hey, on the ground, there's this metal chain. I'm like, great, a chain. And I just, you know, I, back in those days, you would watch Black Belt Theater, 
which is all this kung fu shows with people lip-syncing, I'll get you, you dirty rat, right? <laughs> and so I'd watch all of that, and people would be, always ask me in Texas, because they'd never seen an Asian before, like, do you know karate? Do you know kung fu? Why, yes, I do, <laughs> right? If the shoe fits, if, it, if, it if I can take advantage of it, I'm going to say yes. So I picked up that chain, and I go, ah, you know what I'm and they're like, oh no, he knows karate, run away, right? So I was swinging the chain, and he ran away, and we became, me and this boy became really good friends. Um, and, uh, but taking advantage of the unconventional, you know, because our world works in certain ways, right? And even in our country, I think we're becoming more and more aware of power disparity, right? And there are movements in different places, different pockets, whether it's a movement of women, or movements of people of color, or immigrants, or refugees that are pushing against established powers, right? Are pushing against what they feel is not the way the world should be, it's not fair, it's unjust, right? And you see, you see, yeah, that our nation is divided, that people are talking back and forth about what, you know, who gets what, what's fair and what's not fair. What do we do with all of these resources, right? Um, what is America? Right? What is our identity as a nation? One group of people might say, America is this. And another, another group of people may be like, really? That's America? I thought America was this. Or your America does not include me. Right? You're, when you say that, that immediately discounts me. <laughs> or what if what it means to be American is unconventional, right? The stories that we hear of children of, oh, the story that Magniel told, mm -hmm. right? Missionaries came and built them a house. Now they're here building our house, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. If you had a chance to look at the cafe space over there, Magniel and Udi Osek have been remodeling it and building it. It's amazing, mm -hmm. but they're, on our church staff, they've been ministers here since almost our beginning, and they're building this house. Mm -hmm. And like the story and the narrative continues because God is a God, an unconventional God. You don't believe me? Open up your Bible and read it. Who does he call? Usually when he calls people, it's like, me? Right? What? Gideon was like, I'm the smallest family of the smallest tribe. You can't use me. Moses was like, I can't even talk. Right? Not me. Right? But God uses the unconventional. God uses the faith of the outsider. God uses the non-quintessential to be the quintessential in his kingdom building, in his plan to save people. Right? Why? God even called Israel to be his people. Why? Because there are some great and glorious people that never sinned, that never messed up, that were, you know, the greatest civilization ever lived, 
No, he called, God called God's people because they're jacked up, messed up, dysfunctional, right? Broken, inbred, like always turning away, forgetful, in the desert like he just fed us. Now we're complaining, we should be in Egypt again. God calls the unconventional. God calls the marginalized. God calls the weak. Why? So people can boast? No, so he can be glorified, amen? And God is going to be praised and glorified no matter what happens, no matter what we choose. And this is what Jesus is telling the Pharisees right now, because the Pharisees are saying, Jesus, control your followers. They're treating you like a king. They're saying, Hosanna, Hosanna, praise this king who comes in the name of the Lord. They're giving you too much glory, right? And it's making us nervous, right? His, he's getting too powerful. So they're like, chill them out, right? Shut them up. And that isn't that like the common theme of power that is threatened and doesn't want to let go of it? Shut them up. Be quiet. And Jesus said, even if I shut them up, even if these people weren't here, even if they kept quiet, what does it say in verse 40? The stones will cry out. Because this is the story. This is the trajectory. This is the narrative of God's salvation purpose for all humanity. And you can't stop that train. You can't stop me from going, coming and doing what I was called to do, what my purpose is. You can't stop it. And God, in the end, will be victorious. And God will be praised. And the angels will shout out, are you with me? The donkey is an unconventional animal. (laughs) You like that transition? The donkey is a subversive animal. It's not glorious. It's not magnificent. It's not a magnificent creature. It's actually a very humble and lowly creature, right? Mm -hmm. You may call it the poor man's horse, right? Horse, you know, a thoroughbred horse, millions of dollars, you know, Kentucky Derby, whatever. A donkey is like shorter. It's got like messed up back. It's got thick hips and legs. Like, not that, like, sleek black stallion running in glorious race. It's a donkey. (laughs) Donkey. And the donkey's also known for being stubborn, right? Like, go, donkey. Go, donkey. The donkey doesn't want to move. I don't know if that's the sound a donkey makes. Donkey doesn't want to move. Donkey's not going to move. But I like that Jesus rides into Jerusalem on a donkey. Yeah. Yeah. Because this is subversive. Mm-hmm. Right? It's unconventional. There was actually a donkey carrying Mary and Joseph to Bethlehem when Mary was pregnant with Jesus. Mm-hmm. On the way for Jesus to be born. Mm-hmm. Right? There was a donkey carrying Jesus' family to Egypt when Herod was persecuting him and threatening to kill Jesus. If you, marry, if you remember the story of the Samaritan, Good Samaritan, 
right? The Good Samaritan passes this beaten guy on the side of the street, and he's with his donkey, and he places the man on his donkey, right? Unassuming, unassuming, humble, lowly donkey is caring God's people, is caring God's mission, is caring the neighbor, the neighbor's love, this donkey. And this donkey is in this passage, is carrying King Jesus in his final entry into Jerusalem. God will be praised. He will have what he needs. The Lord has need of it. Whether you say yes or no, whether you shut it down or not, it's going to happen. Even if I do it on a donkey, even if the rocks rise up and praise me, it's going to happen. Amen? Amen? And so, if you're sitting in this place wondering, I'm just a donkey, right? Watch right maybe. Or I'm just this. Or I'm just that. I'm too poor. I'm just a lowly person. Or, you know, I've lived kind of a, you know, iffy life. You know, I've done some bad things. I've seen some bad uh, people. I've been around bad people. I've been a bad person. I've been in some dark places. Right? What, is, what would Jesus have to do with me? God uses the unconventional for his glory. Amen? Amen. So that's point number one. Uh, we learned in uh, Luke chapter 9, verse 51, that Jesus set his face towards Jerusalem. Right? Nine, chapter 9, 51, Jesus set his face towards Jerusalem, and he was on a beeline towards Jerusalem. And Jerusalem is where it all happens, right? The final conflict. Jesus will confront the religious leaders and the powers that be, and he'll be tortured, arrested, tortured, crucified, and then raised up again. And so there's kind of this tension around Jerusalem because Jerusalem is the place where Jesus is rejected, finally rejected, and finds his death. Jerusalem is the place where he's condemned, right, to death. And yet, Jerusalem is the center of God's salvation purpose and God's salvation story, right? That's where it's going to happen. And so Jerusalem is really important, and it's really important in Luke as Jesus makes his way. And there are commentators uh, that talk about, you know, during the Passover, actually, this was a time where because Jerusalem was so flooded, also the occupying country, Rome, the occupying empire, would fill Jerusalem with more military. Right, more military might, more soldiers and stuff to keep make beef up security, keep the peace and whatnot, and display a display of power. Um, so you can imagine Jesus and his troop of disciples entering Jerusalem on one end, and maybe at the same time, the Roman magistrate or the Roman em emperor coming in with his soldiers and processing into Jerusalem, and the contrast between those two. Jesus coming in on a donkey, right? <coughs> and, and Caesar coming in on his great horse, mm -hmm. right? With his knights and his stallions. 
the unconventional versus the powerful. Zechariah 9.9 says, Rejoice greatly, daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. This, this idea that Jesus says, Hey, I need a donkey. Go, get me a donkey. Right? And the people are like, he needs a donkey? What? The Lord has need of it. Okay, take my donkey, right? You don't want a horse? No, I want a donkey. But even here is a fulfillment or an allusion to the prophetic scriptures. Like our, our Savior, God's Savior, is one who comes, is a king who's righteous and victorious, lowly, and riding on a donkey. That's so awesome. Right? The unconventional, the unassuming, the humble. Humble, but powerful. You remember Balaam's donkey, right? The unassuming, the unconventional. The story of Balaam in Numbers. Balaam's like, God tells him, he's a, he's a pagan prophet, pagan priest. God tells him to go to this city, talk to this guy. He's like, no, no, but he's going. And while he's on the road, the donkey sees an angel with a sword blocking the way. And the donkey veers off and crushes uh, Balaam's leg against the wall. And Balaam starts, gets a stick and starts beating the donkey like, you crushed my leg, what are you doing? And uh, the angel opens Balaam's eyes and he sees the angel and the sword and he's like, the donkey, right? So wise. Oh, actually, before that, the donkey's mouth was open and said, why are you, why are you beating me? I, I didn't do anything. Actually, I helped you. Right? God, if he has use for you, if he has use for anyone, can do anything through anything or anyone. Amen? Even the stones would shout. The Lord had need of it. Even the stones would shout. So his entry is on a donkey. And then the next part, when he enters, the people are all there. And these are probably his followers who, who know Jesus, who've witnessed his healings, and maybe he has this Jesus fan club that talked about him becoming like a rock star. Like people loved what Jesus did. People saw compassion and healing and power in Jesus, and they flocked to him, and the crowds followed him. And so as he's entering Jerusalem, who knows what they were thinking? Who knows what they thought Jesus, what kind of savior Jesus was going to be to them? We don't know. But we do know that a week later, perhaps the same crowd was yelling, crucify him, crucify him. So even as we celebrate today, we sit in the tension of the fact that, you know, when the, when the tables are turned or when the power presses down, the shadow of power presses down, People flee or change their tune or go from, yay, King Jesus, to crucify him, crucify him. And the two parts of the crowd's chant are actually allusions to two different scriptures. Part A, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord, echoes Psalm 117.26. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. And the second part, peace in heaven and glory in the highest, echoes actually Luke chapter 2, 13 to 14. The proclamation of the angels at Jesus' birth. 
peace on earth, right? And glory in the highest. So Jesus is entering with this proclamation, both quoted in the Psalms and by the angels. So the heavenly hosts and the hosts of people in Jerusalem are praising Jesus as the king that he ought to be praised as. Amen? That he is God's son, that he's the savior, that he's going to come and change everything for us and give us new life and overthrow the powers that be. And finally, I will be seen. Finally, I will have life. Finally, this leader who is good to me, who doesn't use people for his own power and political gain, but instead allows himself to be used in order that people may live. Do you see the difference there? That's the kingdom of heaven. The empire says, you are my sheep and I will eat you in order to live. Right? I will use you for political gain. But God says, I will lay myself down so that you will live. This is the difference. And this is the Jesus that we celebrate and that we believe in. And perhaps the people's expectations were disappointed that day. Perhaps that's why they turn on him. Perhaps that's why the tone changes. Because we expect Jesus to be something else than what he is. Because we want to hear the cheer of the crowd. We listen to the calls of the empire, of the powers, right? And culture, and we're like, we're drawn to it. We're addicted to it. We're still influenced by it. We were talking in men's group today, this morning, like, it's safe and a good place to be vulnerable here, but I can't be vulnerable in the real world because I'd be a doormat and I'd get eaten alive in business, in my workplace, by other people. I'm like, yeah, that's hard. It's hard to be open and vulnerable. So all that we have to choose is this passive aggressiveness, right? But Jesus is the ultimate strength and power and humility. And he strikes that balance. And he comes because that's who he is. And that's, that's the story. Everything, the cosmos, all of creation is leaning towards Jesus' march to the cross. All of history is pivoting on Jesus entering Jerusalem, facing his torture and death and ultimate resurrection. The story of the empire of Rome saying, we have conquered peoples. We have conquered nations. We are the people. Look at our cross. If you cross us, we will put you on the cross. So no one would dare stand against us because we are the way and we have the peace for all of you. We will make this land great again. And Jesus is like, oh, heck no. (laughs) But it it doesn't come like we all, like the people thought it would come. Right? Just a lowly hobbit. (laughs) I could throw in that so some of you could understand what I'm talking about. Everything in cosmos, everything in creation, it's moving towards this moment in history when God turned the tables so that others could live. 
Amen. Amen. And even the stones would shout. If you shut me up now, even the stones would shout. You can't stop love. You can't stop goodness. You can't stop peace. You can't stop the God of the universe who's going to lift up the voices of the men, women, and children who had been set down. God wants to heal. God wants to lift up. God wants to give life and renewed life. And that's why we're here, church. We're here to say, glory, Hosanna, the King has come. Even though everything in us wants to light out and fly away when things get hard. I don't know Jesus. Right? We want to turn away from him. We're going to deny him. And we've, I've denied him a lot of times in my life. Jesus, what? No. I'd rather be with that girl. <laughs> All right, like, I'd rather make me some money. But Jesus is still there saying, let me be your king. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for this season that you're pulling us into to be in solidarity with you and who you are. And I pray that wherever we are in our journey, maybe I'm far away from you. And I don't know how to come back. Or maybe I'm just uninspired by your words. Or I can't hear from you. Or you've been silent. Or I'm mad at you. Maybe I've been following you all my life. And it's just the same old, same old. I pray. Um, that for each of us, that your words would pierce our hearts and that you would show yourself powerful, that you would be king in our lives today, and that we can praise you and lift you up and glorify you with conviction. In Jesus' name.